Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made-in-America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> On this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast, I had the opportunity to go to Black and Tan Days in only Illinois. That's hard to say. Only Illinois. Anyway, I am not very well versed in the modern day Black and Tan and barely literate in the history of Black and Tans. So I recruited Jeff Wood to sit down and talk to me about Black and Tans, talk about his juice dog, and uh, some of the the older black and tans and where they came from and then what black and tan breeders are up to in 2022. Jeff and I go way back a long ways. We were hunting together in the western side of Indiana and eastern Illinois back in the early 1990s when he was campaigning the original juice dog. Jeff has been a lifelong black and tan fancier. You're going to want to listen all the way to the end in typical fashion. Once the recorder goes off, the good stories come out. And I'm not going to spoil it for you other than to say this story involves black and tan coonhounds, gangsters, and moonshine. Let's get that tailgate down and get the doors on the Old South dog box thrown open and get some black and tans on the ground. It's time to dump the box. Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter. Boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment. Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew, they have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a Garmin and Dogtra dealer. 
Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. How long have we known each other, Jeff? Well, I think we go back when we first start running around, running into each other at the mm-hmm. hunts. Back in the late 80s, I'm guessing. It had to be. Late 80s, early 90s. Yep. And uh, so I'm with Jeff Wood, and we're in Olney, Illinois at the Black and Tan Days, and Jeff and I go back a long time. You've been the sheriff of which county is that? Edgar County, Illinois. Edgar County for the last eight years. Yep. Going to run for another four? Yep, another four. Are you running unopposed? Nope. Got competition. Everybody wants my job. <laughs> what, what's going to happen? You might retire this fall if you get beat, won't you? I might, yeah. Yeah. Have to coon hunt for a living. Yeah. Make some big money. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, the reason we're talking, I, I want to talk to you is because you've had you've had some pretty good dogs and been involved in black and tans for a long time and and uh yeah tell us tell us about the type of dogs you've been hunting all these years jeff yeah well, i've i've been hunting black and tans for oh a little over 50 years i guess i've been to black and tan association for just shy of 50 years uh, i'm probably the youngest old old member in the association right uh, joined when i was a kid and back then i eat and breathe black and tans uh you know i've always kind of liked to like to track dog i still like to listen to dog run a track tree dog uh like a good mouth but i you know a lot of guys say they don't care what a dog looks like as long as it can tree a coon but i kind of still like to lead a lead a pretty dog and i like to lead a pretty horse so yeah i'll tell you what it's it's just as cheap to feed a good looking one as it that's is right, sorry that's one. right and they're out there there that's right and it, I've always found that if you got a dog that you like looking at, you'll put a little more into them. Yeah, you will. But you can also go back and say that they all look pretty good when they're doing their when job they, when, right. When they're treated, they all look pretty. Yeah, yeah. So, but you have one dog in particular. Yeah. You had Juice. And I had dogs back in the early 90s, Black Juice. Bought him off a trade row. Uh, he was a grand show champion when I bought him. I made him a grand knight, a high-scoring black and tan male in the world hunt. He was a all-around dog, good strike dog, uh, outstanding tree dog, slobber mouth. I know a lot of people have seen his ads and pictures. He had slobber all over him, running down his sides. Yeah. I had the foresight, I guess, or or lucky to collect him years ago. I just lived 25 miles from Dr. Scott, who was big into that at the time. Stored up quite a bit of semen on him, so I'm still able to continue that line of dogs. I'm hunting second and direct sons and uh, grand pups of him right now, 30 years later. Yeah, we were talking about that. I mean, you, th- you think about, that wasn't really talked about a lot back in the early 90s about, you know, drawing these dogs and storing semen and, and stuff like that. But but you had a vet close to you that was already doing that right. sort of stuff. He was Doc Scott was a pioneer in it, I think. He was affiliated with the University of Illinois at the time. Uh, he was a, you know, just kind of a founder of a lot of artificial breeding, uh, frozen frozen semen, embryo transplants. Especially, I think dairy cattle was what he really got started in. Cattle. I was going to ask if he if he's doing other stuff dairy, too. Dairy dogs. cattle and then beef cattle was his big thing when when he started the dog business. The dogs were kind of a side side venture for him, but the cattle was his big big thing. But like I say, I was fortunate to live close to him. He he was raised in the same uh, part of the county I was. My my family and his family knew each other. Mm-hmm. I guess he kind of took me under his wing a little bit, and uh, so I got to spend a lot of time over there. I just my regret, like I told you earlier, was I should have spent every day I had free over there and, and learned it because I wouldn't have had to dealt with the public like I do now. Right. So let me ask you this: uh, Did you guys ever talk about? 
like how long artificial insemination has been around or did he ever talk about how long they, he had been doing it in cattle and livestock and stuff like that? Yeah, he'd been, I mean, you know, we, the dog stuff, I think Spring Creek Rock and, and uh, of course, Steve Kenny that had the Walker dogs, he, he bought all the Spring Creek Rock semen back in them, them days. He'd done a lot of, a lot of business with Doc Scott. Doc done the, the inseminating with the Spring Creek Rock stuff. But I think Spring Creek Rock had been done back in maybe the 70s. And I'm <coughs> off the top of my head, I'm thinking Doc was doing the stuff with the cattle, you know, even years before that. Because he'd talk about getting off in the evening, drive to Mississippi, and inseminate a bunch of cattle and drive home and be back to work the next day. Wow. Yeah, I guess I was always pretty ignorant about it. I always thought it was like a, you know, late nine or 90s, 21st century thing. But, but then I guess no doubt I'm ignorant about it because then I find out that like hard time or uh, uh, spanky. Right. The blue tick. There's spare there's spare time spanky. Yeah, spare time spanky. There's there's um, straws on him out there, mm-hmm. and that that would be you know Spring Creek Rock eras type yep. stuff. So, so tell me about Juice. What kind of dog was he? Juice was just a, a, just a hunt him every night. I mean, I drew him a few times. Yeah, hunt him every night. He was just actually a, a pleasure dog. He was just just that a pleasure dog. You know, he got in there, got struck, get treed, have a coon. Uh, but he was a completely different dog than a night hunt. He he knew when he was at a night hunt, and you know he had that little give that little extra, you know, get off by himself. Uh, you know, he, back in them days, it wasn't a big deal to be split all the time. So he would, you know, he'd tree with another dog, and uh, but he just, you know, I had people to hunt with him night after night, and then spectate me in a night hunt and say, you know, what's the deal with this dog? I'd never seen this out of him before. I said, we're at a night hunt. I said he knows the difference. Isn't that something? Some of those dogs, I got a blue tick female at the house right now. You take her out by herself, she looks pretty common. I mean, she trees plenty of coons and, and, and does a good job. But, man, when you take her to a night hunt, it's like she turns it up a notch. Yep. Yeah, it's, I, I've had dogs like that in the past, so I know what you're talking about. Was he good about having coons? Good about having coons. Very seldom took minus points. If he, if he got a minus point, it was usually my fault. Yeah. What kind of strike dog was he? Uh, good track dog. He was he's a dog if he was if he was running a track with a chop mouth you could treat him on the first locate if he was running with a ball mouth you better let him locate three times and, and then treat him uh like i say he was a whale of a tree dog you know 120 30 bark a minute tree dog slobber mouth uh, he had a pretty good clear mouth on him good, too good clear mouth on him you could hear him a long way yeah yep yeah he was one of those if i'd have, if i'd have been thinking back in the day then you probably could have talked me into talked me into hunting one of those black and tans. <laughs> you know, black and tans the only breed that of of the hounds I have never owned. Yeah, it's the only one, and I don't know why. I've always I've always liked looking at them. I've hunted with several good ones. Uh, you know, it just seems like the timing's always off. You you end up with um, you know something else at the time, and something comes available. That's just one of the the dogs that I've never had. But I always like the looks of them. Uh, like the markings on them. I like the people that hunt black and tans. The whole I don't know why I never made the yeah, black, made black that and tan, happen. Black and tan world's a good good world to be in. It's I've made a million friends and my, my children have made good friends ever. And you know, they gave a talk today about the black and tan yearbook that if you ever got in trouble anywhere you could open your yearbook and find somebody to help you anywhere in the country and there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, that's what I always remember about the Black and Tan Association was that yearbook was just thick. And it was big, and it, you know the the people that hunt black and tans are very loyal to their breed association. And uh, I think I came to black and tan days the first time in the mid '80s, probably, and it was amazing. You know, you pull into Charlie Brown Park when it was over in Flora, yep, and uh, you couldn't find a parking space. You, you, I mean, you you had to walk if you didn't get there early. Campers set up everywhere and things like that. Yeah, that's it's been like that for years. Of course, times have changed in the last two or three years. COVID come in, you know, we skipped a year and it just never bounced back yet. But it's, you know, they've got a good turnout this year. So. Yeah, yeah. So let's get back to Juice a little bit. I want to talk a little bit more about him. Tell him, tell me about Juice's 
first of all, what have, what have you accomplished with juice? Why have you stuck with that? If you're hunting a son off of him from semen 30 years ago, what was it about that dog that you want to keep you want to keep reproducing off of that? Yeah, they were they were they were, they were good looking dogs, uh, good tree dogs, uh, balanced you know track dogs, uh, pretty pretty much trash free. Don't have a lot of trash with them. They're, they're intelligent dogs too. I mean, Juice. I, I used to take him to the hunts. And, you know, I could put him in a pen at Winter Classic or Autumn Oaks and tell him to get in a pen. He'd hop the gate, get in a pen, tell him to stay there. He'd stay there all week, never had to time up. Somebody won't look at him. You holler at him. He'd jump the fence, stand there, and let him look at him. Yeah. You know, pull it, pull him off a tree, and unsnap him. He'd follow you out of the woods. And you know, people wish their kids would mind like like he did. <laughs> <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. So what what kind of what kind of bloodline do you go back to? He was a direct son of Ward's Bow, who was a popular stud owned by Ed Abel. Uh, he was out of Tennessee Judge. His mother was Sanders Hank, and which was uh, Guthrie's Deacon, uh, Tennessee Fiddler, which back in them days were the popular. So he had all the popular dogs in him at that time. Yeah. So I'm you know kind of with him and the seamen. I'm kind of bringing some of that old blood back, crossing back with some of the modern stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm getting the type of dog that I enjoy hunting. You know, I'm the one that feeds them, so I'm the only one that really has to be happy with them. Yeah, yeah. But the results are, are real good on them. Did you raise him from a pup? No, bought him bought him at Walker Days off a of, of trade trade row years ago. He was <laughs> he, he was a, had a grand show champion title on him. I'd seen him in the magazines and, and – uh, a guy come and told me about him and said, if you want a tree dog, that's a dog you need to get a hold of. And so we, we bought him and me and Tim Whitaker bought him together. And then I took him home and hunted him a few nights and I liked him. So I bought Tim's out and the rest is history, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I got to track down Tim while I'm here. Tim and I go back farther than you right. and I do, uh, back to the mid eighties. And, uh, but yeah, Tim Tim's made his mark too with his smoky smoky dogs. Smoky and line. And that's <clears throat> and since that time, you know, talking about the smoky line, I've kind of fizzled out of hunting there for three or four years with my son and stuff. He wanted to get hunting, so I bought or I took the smoky three dog that Tim had and just hunted him for a while. Then Tim decided he wanted to sell him. So I bought him and raised a couple of litters. So I've kind of incorporated the smoky line of dogs into my dogs too. So about everything I've got's got the, the juice line, the smoky line. I've got some of the modern stuff, the Batman line of dogs. So, which one of those smoky dogs was monkey faced? That was the original smoky. The original kind of, smoky. Smoky yeah. one, yeah. Yep, and that's the one that that I drew. I used to hunt a little red bone female uh, in the night hunts back in the eighties, and and uh, that's when uh, Tim and I met. And I remember him hunting that monkey faced mm -hmm. dog that was smoky. The original smoky a little, dog. A little bit of a high tan dog, yeah. Yep. Yeah, high tan and and monkey faced. It was, and uh, but he he's rolling. Does he throw that in his pups? Are you getting that now? Very seldom. What causes uh, that? I don't know. That's just something that's been crossed back in him years ago. I know I raised a litter out of him. Uh, it was just about the time I bought the juice dog. I'd bred a female to Smokey, and out of the litter I had one female that was called, kind of marked like him, and she she turned out to be a real good dog. I, believe she got run over or something happened to her mm -hmm. but uh that was the only pup the litters i seen out of him that was the only pup i ever seen that had that high tan on him tim ever mentioned getting anything out of him like that no any of the high I, tan stuff no i don't i don't and i don't think i don't remember some of the pups that i've seen at tim's house ever having anything like that yeah that must be recessive mm -hmm. it must be a recessive gene in there i mean somewhere. i know that monkey the monkey face itself i you see, he still sticks out a little bit, but the, as far as the high tan on the legs or something, I don't. I've yeah. never seen that since then. Yeah, you can usually spot a spot a smoky, an older smoky dog because they they have more brown on their mm -hmm. face, you know, than than a lot of, uh, you know, some of the other lines of black and tans like the Wagners and stuff like right. that. You know, the Smokies always had a little more tan, but the, the whole full monkey face thing was uh, was a rare thing to see. Hey, I want to talk to you about coon hunting lights. Over the course of my hunting career, I have had a lot of lights, starting with the night light, six volt, the wheat light with the uh, gel cell battery and the 5100 
head, but the first cool light I ever had was a Cajun, and it was a Sweet 16. The battery was a big square box, and it was worn on a belt on your side. It weighed about a gazillion pounds, and, and it, there's a reason why the old coon hunters have limps and have bad backs. Fast forward to 2022, we go around the hunts, we see all these cap lights, everything weighs 18 ounces. There's enough light modules on there to land aircraft. And the components for each light are basically the same. What it really comes down to is the person that puts that light together. At Cajun Lights, L.W. Nixon puts every light together that he sells. I've been using the Cajun Bayou for a couple of weeks now, and I am impressed. This is a simple and highly functional light that is lightweight. And I've spent enough time with L.W. to know that he is going to take special care in putting your light together. Whether you choose a Roguru, the Microgator, the Bayou Light, all high quality. He's got hunting vests over there. The lights attached to the vests. They're interchangeable. I mean, the, the options are endless. You can check it all out at CajunLights.com. LW is going to take care of you over there. Check out Cajun Lights at CajunLights.com. I was about eight when I started coon hunting. How'd you get into it? My dad was a, I liked to hunt. I mean, I lived kind of at the edge of town, had woods behind my house, and I spent all my free time. My grandparents had a farm. I was always in the woods. Mm -hmm. My dad was a square dance caller, and we went up in, uh, up in Indiana. He called square dances every Saturday night, and a guy he come to the dances was a coon hunter up there in the Wabash River Bottoms. Really? And he he invited us up, and uh, so Dad would take me up. A lot of nights we'd go up there on Friday night and coon hunt, and then he'd have to turn around and drive back up there the next night and call square dances. And then some guys there around home knew, knew I liked to coon hunt, so I started hunting with them, and and uh, so the the fever hit. Yeah, at eight years old? Yeah, huh? I was about 11 time I really got hunting all the time had my own dog i mean my first dog was a he was a, he was a high tan dog too he was he was wandering around town uh i i caught him took him home and he, he wasn't much count but <laughs> the first one's just they never are no you know and i bought another high tan dog off a off a, well he, he i didn't know he was going to be a high tan dog i bought him out of an ad in a, one of the old magazines had him shipped in here and he was a high tan dog and he about twice as old as he was supposed to be but he, he would tree a coon and then i got got my first registered dog and had registered dogs ever since yeah how old do you think that old that dog was well he's supposed to be in six or seven uh he got he got down on me took him to the vet and they said he had heartworms he said he's more like 11 or 12 <laughs> <laughs> uh, i had that same thing happen you know i missed i don't know how many hounds i had there when i was younger but when i was 17 uh, there was a, there was a man in our community named John Harrison. He had a, he had a dog out of, uh, Hearn's Red Eagle Dick and, uh, his Rock Creek Charlie Pride was that dog's name. And John was get he was probably about 70 and, and he just couldn't go anymore. And he knew I loved to hunt. He just gave me that old dog. And that's when the bug, I knew I enjoyed coon hunting, but when Charlie came along and he could act, I mean, we, we'd go hunting every night. And we might tree a coon once or twice a week mm -hmm. with the caliber of dogs we had. And I still remember the first night I turned him loose. It's frosty. And I met a buddy of mine out of woods. He was already there. He already had his old Queenie dog in there uh, running the track. And I cut Charlie into her, and he went in there and struck a track and went on past and got treed and had a coon. You know, yeah. those, those, those first dogs that you get, you remember them, that, that actually it's like, my dog treed a coon. Yep, them, them were the days. I mean, you just couldn't wait for, you know, I, I went through a lot of dogs. Yeah. And so, I mean, they were all, had a good point or two about them, but I just never had a complete dog till I was, you know, I, I bought a pup in 78, and uh, he, he turned in to be a real nice dog. I think I was too young to realize what I had at the time, and mm -hmm. by the time I realized what I had, I was, you know, he was getting old. I I campaigned him, needed a win to be a grand knight when he when he died, but... You know, he was, he was an outstanding hound after I started hunting him. I mean, just the dogs I put him up against and won against it. But I say that's part of being a kid, I guess. How would you? How would you have been in '78? Uh, 
13? Yeah, 13 years old in 78. And uh, what was he out of? You remember? Yeah, I. Uh, he was off of a dog called Shaker Hill George who went back to a grandson of Tall Timber Roy, which my first registered black and tan pup was a direct son of Tall Timber Roy, who was a, a Bloodworth bred dog down in Tennessee. Uh, she got killed by a car when she wasn't, wasn't very old. And I bought a couple of more young dogs off of Tall Timber Roy. Well, one pup and one grand pup off Tall Timber Roy. And then they ended up buying this pup. I was out in, in Ohio and found this pup off a of, off of Shaker Hill, George. And the mother was off a of Screaming Eagle and Eats Bruiser. And uh, the pups wasn't ready to go yet, but the guy was coming to Autumn Oaks that year. What was the dog's name? Dick the Bruiser? Uh, I, uh, what 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 what? Eads, Eads Bruiser, Eads Black Bruiser, Eads Black Bruiser. Yeah. I was going to say Dick the Bruiser was a wrestler. Yeah, he was a wrestler. He was a big time wrestler, wrestler back wrestler in the day. Terrible. Yeah, I used to go see him on Friday nights. So. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got his autograph too at home. So. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, no, I really do have his autograph. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. But, he was uh, big in Indiana, Dick the Bruiser yeah, he's was. From, from Indiana, yeah. That's why it caught my that's why it caught my attention because I thought you said Dick the Bruiser, yeah, and I they, thought somebody named a dog after a wrestler. They they wrestled about once or twice a month in Terre Haute. Yeah. He's not a wrestler, he's a wrestler. Wrestler. He's a wrestler. He, he Big was a, time wrestler. Dick was a brawler. Yeah, he was. But uh each, each bruiser was, was a big big influence back in, in the seventies. Uh-huh. Uh and they they brought him to Autumn Oaks. I bought him, picked him up over there. And, uh, you know, he, of course, back then, you know, we didn't even start hunting dogs till he was a year old. Uh, isn't you know, that something? Today, these guys want these dogs running and training when they're seven, eight months old. Let's let's talk about that in a okay. minute, how it's changed, how how it's changed from back in the day. But tell us, tell us about the well, dogs. Well, then, you know, you take him out and play with him, but you didn't do a whole lot. And, I, you know, he was 13, 14 months old, and just one night, we, we was coon hunting with some old dogs, and he just went over here and treated a coon by himself. Yeah. And the minute, minute he treed, you know, he was a pull-pressure tree dog from that, that moment on. Uh, but, you know, to, today, I mean, a guy had a dog tree six or seven months old. He really had something. Yeah. Remember so I, did you your pup treed at 13, 14 months old. What was he doing prior to that? Just going out there and messing around pretty much. And it's just like that night the just light bulb night, came on. Walked over the hill down there in the woods, started treeing. Other dogs were out hunting, and you know he had a slick tree, but he treed. And, I was going to ask you if he had a coon. And we turned him loose again, and he treed with the old dogs. The next tree, we I, I climbed a tree as an old uh, uh, wild cherry tree in a fence row, and I shook the coon out. He never looked back. <laughs> Oh man! But I did have a son out of him. I, actually, the first litter of pups I ever raised out of him. You know, at six months old, you no, know, he was running training his own coon. Started about five months old, and uh, I hunted him all that season. Treated a lot of coon with him. Laid him up after season went out. And by spring, he he wasn't worth a count for anything. Hmm. Like he didn't know what to do. I ended up selling him for a bird dog. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So. What do you think the differences are? I mean, back in the day, like the time when we're talking about 70s and 80s, you could go to a night hunt and there would be there would be blue ticks and black and tans and red bones. I mean, the, the, all the colors yep. were there. They were all, all present. And the, the hunts were full. The bench shows were full. Yeah. Every breed represented. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't uncommon. I mean, what, what you go to a club hunt and there would be a bench show and the bench show would last two hours. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have 40 or 50 entries in the bench show. Yep. Classes for each one of the breeds. Yep. All six breeds would be there. Mm-hmm. Best male and best female show, there'd be six dogs up there. Yeah. Yeah. And then the night hunts would have. The night hunts for 50, 60 dogs a hunt. I was getting ready to say R 60. RQE would be 120 or 30 dogs a hunt. Yeah, buddy. Yep, for sure. How do you think it was different back then than it is is now? Ah, just dogs were different. They, of course, back then, then the dogs packed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you didn't talk a lot because when dogs barked, you kind of had to listen because it was a a race to see who get first tree. I mean, and you know, the, it's funny you look at the ads back then. Well, so and so made a night champion with two firsts and a seventh or eighth or ninth. Yeah. And now he, they're three firsts or two firsts and a second. Now, of course, now they're just cast wins. But, right. But even just a few years ago, when they were the old format, you know. 
two firsts a second, first and two seconds. Mm -hmm. And then some of them dogs make night champion. You know, they may have 10 places before they ever got their first place win. So Back in the day. Back in the day, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, had a, I had a pile of, you know, like fourth and fifth place trophies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Chasing and, it. And the hunts, you know, they gave full set of trophies. Yeah. First through tenth. And I wish I still had all my old trophies. Have you still got yours? I've got a few. Uh, I had everything at my parents' house when they passed away and we sold the place. I had no place to put them, and and I gave a few of them away to some organizations to change the tops on them, but a lot of stuff got, just got thrown in the burn pile. Check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com. You can find Paws Are Protected, Dogs Are Hydrated, the highest quality leashes and tie-outs in the industry, great customer service, it's owned by Houndsman, gear built by Houndsman, dogsartreat.com. Use our promo code HXP20% off at checkout and get 20% off your order. The bills are paid. Let's take this one home. Here's Jeff Wood to finish this one up. Well, getting back to how things have changed, I mean, why was it back in the day? I mean, it wasn't – if you go to a hunt today and – it's not red bone days and there's somebody there with a red bone. I mean, it's kind of uncommon. And same mm -hmm. thing could be said with the black and tan. You know, you're seeing a lot of, you still see quite a few English dogs, blue ticks here and there, but a lot of Walker dogs. If somebody shows up with a black and tan, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of unusual yeah, for a competition hunt. And I, I don't hunt the hunts like I do, but still it's, it's just, I mean, they're, they're not the hunters out there to start with the, I don't think the the timbers out there for four people to hunt in. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just, I guess time has taken its toll. Yeah. Well, you've missed, you've had some walkers too. Yeah, I've had a couple of walker dogs. And why do you think that the, why do you think the black and tans seem like they've fallen behind or have they, or is that a perception? Because you just don't, you just don't see them. I mean, right. when you go to the super stakes or you go someplace mm -hmm. like that, it's walker dogs. I mean, I think part of it's genetics. I mean, they, they bred these walker dogs to, you know, I mean, honestly, to probably be a little superior dog. And I, I've hunted, drawed a lot of walker dogs. You know, I've been beat by walkers. I've beat walkers. But, you know, just the numbers alone, I mean, I don't know what, what it is, 100 to 1 for a black dog for every, every walker dog. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, in sheer numbers, they're just going to have an advantage. Yeah. Uh, I always felt like that the, the walker guys were a little more in tune with, they, they did a and I'm talking about, I mean, I'm sitting here wearing a plot shirt for crying out loud. So, but you know, it's, it's one of those deals where the Walker guys were more in tune with breeding to fit that scorecard. And, exactly. And those they bred winners. for a competition though. Yeah. I mean, if, if you go over here and, and talk to these people at black and tan days this weekend, a lot of them guys, black and tan days is the only hunt they'll hunt all year. Mm -hmm. They won't be at another hunt. They, they coon hunt. They're pleasure hunters. Where you go to Walker Days, them guys, you know, they were to hunt last week. They'll be at a hunt next week. They'll be hunting the week after that. They're, they're running for truck tickets. Yeah, them, they're doing. Them dogs are, you know, they're making them for the scorecard. Right, right. Yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, and so when you when you take that into consideration, I mean, it's easier to find a dog that can compete right. at that level. And now, if you can find one that's black and tan, then you really got something. Mm -hmm. I mean. You make a big splash quick. Yep. So that's kind of, you know, we had that big country dog. Right. And that's what set him apart. It's like, where did this dog come from? And um, just because he was a different color. It was kind of like, holy crap, there's something besides a, you know, tricolored walker dog <coughs> that's doing something. And the same thing would happen with a red bone or a black yep. and tan. But it's, it's always been my experience, I think. That what I've seen is... And I don't fault them for it because I'm a traditional type guy. You know, I like I like the old time stuff. I mm -hmm. like I like tradition and things like that. And some of these old time black and tan breeders just won't move out. They don't care what anybody else is doing. This is what we this is what we like. This is what we want to hunt, and we're going to keep doing yeah. it. I mean, so, some of the guys are hunting the same type of dog today they hunted. 30 years ago, mm -hmm. no, no faster, no slower, you know, start the same, but 
that's what they're happy with. And they're, like I say, they're they're the one to feed them. So, well, you mentioned you know you're breeding on juice, right? That dog was thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. So, how's how are his pups competing in today's world? Are they competitive or are they being are they being competition hunted? I, I'm just well, the, the male dog I've got right now is the first one I've I I don't raise a lot of pups out of him, but but yeah, he's. You know, I just started him. I need a need one more win to be a night champion. But he's he's been bred a little bit. He's got that some Batman in him, so he's got that little bit more of an independent streak that modern dogs are. You know, get by themselves. And, mm-hmm. uh, I've got a she's not really a sister. She's the same breeding, just flip flop. She's she's juice breeding, and she's out of Batman with juice breeding on the bottom side. Uh, we've been real successful with her the last couple of years. Uh, I don't know what she's anything super but she's you know she's a coon treer she gets by herself and and when she when she's on she's on she's pretty tough to beat but she gets by herself and treats a lot of coons and you know she's been uh, she was a black and tan purina black and tan winner this year she won high scoring female to autumn oaks last two years ago uh, got in the top 100 world hunt last year but mm-hmm. you know, she she's she can be competitive with anything out there i believe yeah well, you never did tell. I, I think I cut you off and switched direction before you told told us what all you've won with with the old juice dog. Yeah, and he wasn't. I didn't win a lot of big hunts. Uh, some Illinois state hunt. He was high scoring black and tan to world hunt in '92. Uh, Governor's Cup. I just I just never pushed him into into big hunts. Probably like I should have. Mm-hmm. But uh, is he a Hall of Fame dog in no, the black and tan association? No, not yet. I've we were just talking about that the other day, and they've changed the, the parameters for that. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think uh, I'm going to get him nominated or something next year. I mean, you know, he sired a little over 400 pups, I think. There's, I don't remember what his records are off, off the top of my head, but there's a lot of a lot of your dogs you see out there today. If you go back far enough, he's he, he's in their pedigrees. Yeah. Yeah, some of the top dogs. Because yeah. I'll I'll still look at those pedigrees and stuff, and I'll see that juice dog, and mm-hmm. and you know I know right where it came from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many how many generations? Uh, I wonder how many generations that would be if it was thirty years ago. They they'd probably still be showing up in some of those six and seven generations if it was just. Yeah, he's still. I mean, there's still a few dogs. Somebody will advertise a dog and. I'll say I'll see a dog maybe back in his third generation. I'll say, well, I know that's a a grandpup of him or you know, yeah. great grandpup or him. So, of course, I'm kind of a student of pedigrees anyhow. So, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> I love pedigrees. What? Why do you? Why do? Okay, let's just talk about that because we this podcast goes out all over the world. We've got people in the West that that don't keep pedigrees on their dogs. They don't register right. stuff. Why do you study pedigrees? That's a good topic. Uh, I just. Think pedigrees an influence, and don't get me wrong. There's there's great dogs that got terrible pedigrees. Mm-hmm. Don't even know what their pedigree is. But and there's there's uh, terrible dogs that got great pedigrees. Exactly. But <laughs> a pedigree is a foundation. This this whole dog breeding business is a crapshoot, in my opinion. Yeah. But you've got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if you've got a dog with ability that's got the pedigree to behind it, same way in the horse business. I'm, you know, we're in the horses too. I'm. I'm the same way in the horses, and you know what I was. Well, I was single, and even with my wife now, I mean, you know, she come home, and there's pedigrees scattered all over the house. Yeah, and I'm, you know, this dog to this dog. So you're like a pedigree junkie on horses and yeah. and yeah. dogs. Black I mean, and I've, I've got all the horse books. I've got all the dog books. <laughs> I've got a picture of that dog, or I've got a picture of that horse. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think you? started to touch on it there it's a foundation so as a as a breeder how do you use pedigrees to choose crosses and and things like that well just i mean like some of the dogs i've got now they've, they've got solid pedigrees you know i know uh, i just seen a dog advertised the other day somebody put an ad on him on one of the dog sites you know i knew probably three quarters of the dog on his pedigree mm-hmm. i mean and most of them i'd even hunted with so i mean if i'm going down the road wanting to breed to something you know this dog would he would catch my attention for one he's he's a coon dog 
for one, I know I know what what's all behind him. I mean, mm -hmm. I know them dogs. They've they got the traits I desire or, or I don't desire. I mean, if I wouldn't like him, I would wouldn't use him. But right. But you know, there's there's history behind him that says he could be a possible good sire. Yeah. He's got the genetic he got makeup. The, got the genetic makeup. Yeah. To do to do his part. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the whole genetic thing is is uh, very much understudied, especially among coon hounds and things like that. If you get into if you get into cattle farming and you get into raising hogs and stuff, those guys are dialed in on genetics. But you know, we're with with a coon hound, we're breeding for so many. Exactly. If you're breeding a a cow, you're breeding for milk production. Or you're breeding a beef cow for beef. How much show, meat show you cattle, can pack on the bone. Or show cow for hair or whatever you want. Yeah. You know, horses are the same way. You're breeding for speed. Draft horse, you're wanting size. Uh, you know, quarter, quarter horse, you're wanting either a headset or a to be cow or something. You know, we're breeding these coon dogs. they want, they got to look a certain way. They've got to run a track a certain way. They've got to tree a certain way. They've got to hunt with other dogs or hunt by themselves. And there's... We're throwing, trying to throw so much stuff into one animal. I think it's 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 more demanding than I raised retrievers for mm -hmm. several years. What I did with those retrievers, they were never out of pocket. You know, they were they were under my supervision the entire time, and I guess you could say the same thing about hounds to a certain extent. But but they're not that you know. We've got garments and we've got e-collars and we got that sort but that of stuff. That dog's still a mile away doing something. Exactly, he's still a mile away, and and that is what makes it so difficult to come up with, you know, uh, ten out of ten of a litter turning out to be top <coughs> coon dogs, um, or consistently doing it. And the people that do that can do it just absolutely amaze me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some some people's got a gift for certain dogs. I mean, they can take a Anything to make a dog out of it. I've got to have a little bit of talent in them to bring it out, I guess. I was just talking about this the other day. You know, we were, we were having this discussion about uh, the last several years. I've had a pretty high success rate with pups that I keep and raise turn out to be, you know, good to above average coon tree and dogs. Um, but I think what it is is I just finally learned what I liked and I recognized what I can work with, so I take the easier out. Right. You know, I, I stay away from that dog that I've had that maybe I don't know about, and I look for those traits in those pups that I do like. And so it helps me be a better trainer. When I know what I like and when I've done it enough and you can see, hey, I can work with that, I can work with that. There's some things that I see, and it's just like, I'm not going to work with that. <laughs> I won't do it. You know, yep. sometimes it's just stuff I don't like in a dog. And there's a, there's a spot, whether it looks or something they do in the woods one night or something, I'm done. It's time for them to go, go somewhere else. To For me, you know what it is? for A lot of it is for me, kennel manners. Yeah. You know, if I, it, I've, never, I've never liked a dog that, that paces as, I'd call them turd grinders, uh, <coughs> that just can't stand still, can't can't just chill out in the kennel uh you know if it's barking or it's pacing or, or anything like that i had a pup here uh that i just just got rid of super potential i mean this little pup took a bear track and ran a bear track and uh, uh bayed with the older dogs at six months old he was a hunting machine i'd turn him around loose around the house and he'd be gone i mean he was not mm -hmm. staying around the house like he got me in trouble with the neighbors <laughs> but uh and i'm talking a mile and a half away my my you know my neighbors up there right. would get pictures of him on the trail cam at, at five and six months old and uh, but the little idiot he was staying inside his doghouse and he was pissing in his doghouse and the only thing i can figure is i had a male dog right next to him so it was he was kind of intimidated dominance yeah. wise and uh, first time it happened, I mean, it was this past winter. I walk out there, and it's like, man, is that doghouse leaking? And I fixed up the doghouse, and I tarped it because I, I didn't have another doghouse put on there. So I tarped it and uh, went back out a week or so later, 
and the suck that doghouse was actually actually had urine standing in it and i thought well you gotta be kidding me mm -hmm. that's after i cleaned it out and i thought that's a deal breaker and right. i he ended up i ended up a guy contacted me he's like hey you know where there's just a pup like this and i and i said or bred a certain way he said just so happen i have one and I told him exactly what he was doing. He says, what do you want for him? I said, if you want him, you can come and get him because he's not going to stay here. There's just certain things that are deal-breaking yeah. for me. And I've got I've got a female. She's not like that, but just in the kennel. And uh, you know, she's, she, I think she's got that little extra, and that's the only thing right now save, saving her. She's, just, yeah. I mean, she, she's not crazy, but she just she got a habit or two that I just kind of hits me wrong, but – like I say, we're we're working through it. I mean, it, she could be worse. I've I've had yeah. worse. I, yeah. There's a dog I had. You know, talking about dogs in the kennel, and here a few years ago was outstanding dog, but he was you know his just back and forth, and it just drove me crazy. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I had him for another guy, and I just I just couldn't handle it. You know, he, he and he was a, could have been a winning sucker, I think. Well, the guy that got this pup for me, he's sending me videos of this old dude out there, Trancoons by himself, rolling in there, big low cates, and just blowing it down. Yep. I asked him, I said, hey, have you had this problem? He's like, nope, haven't had any issues. You know, but – and those are the ones that I used to sit back and I'd be like, man, I wish I'd have kept that dog. But now anymore, but, I'm just like, he's in a better place. Yep, that's exactly right. He is in a better place. Yep. No regrets. No regrets. Well, hey, tell me about where the I want to talk about you working for Bill Boatman. Okay, <laughs> Bill Boatman. First, tell our tell everybody who Bill Boatman is, because there's going to be some people who are listening. A lot of guys don't, don't know. When I was when I was a kid and started hunting, the Bill Boatman catalog was like your Christmas wish book. Yeah, uh, you know, coming to mail. I don't know two or three times a year out in Bainbridge, Ohio. So Bill Boatman was a dog supply guy. He was also a big black and tan breeder. Run full page ads in the magazines every month. Always stood two or three stud dogs. <clears throat> so he had a stud dog called Screaming Eagle. And we had a female come in heat. We gonna wanted to breed to him. So we went out there and took her out there on on Saturday, I believe. Me and my dad and a neighbor. And Eagle he could he couldn't get her bred at the time. The guy said, Well, uh, if you want to leave her here, I'll, uh, we'll try to get her bred. So I, wa I wanted to go hunting out there. And, and uh, in Ohio, you couldn't hunt on Sunday nights at that time. And Junior Ralston was a kennel manager. And he was from Terre Haute, which is just where you worked at, just across the state line from me. And he told my dad if I wanted to stay out there for a couple of weeks, he'd bring me home because he had to come back to Terre Haute. He, he, he agreed to let me stay out there. So I, I was 12 years old at the time. I spent two weeks out there, <laughs> helped you know, help take care of dogs, got a coon hunt Hang on night. a second. You were 12 years old at the time. 12 years old. You go, you'd, you rode out there with your dad. Yeah, my dad and my neighbor took me out there. Okay. Or not my neighbor, but the guy we hunted with. So when you, your dad showed up at home without you, what did your mom say? Well, <laughs> luckily we called her before he left me out there okay we, we, right. had, we had to get her permission all right i got now, you i don't now. want everybody out there thinking i'm a mommy's boy because I'm, I'm not but <laughs> but anyhow she he left me some money to buy a pair of pants and a shirt and mom sent me a care package and, and uh yeah i survived the two weeks and uh so that's where i bought that buck dog out there years years ago when uh i've seen him out there to, at a guy's house and then, so the following summer, when I was 13, uh, they asked me if I wanted to come out there and spend the summer. So well, what did you do? What did you do that two weeks you were out there? I, I just, that, that first two weeks, I just kind of loafed. I helped with pups, and I helped feed dogs. And yeah. Coon, we coon hunted at night, done just everything around there. Uh -huh. So the next year, I spent the whole summer out there and basically worked out there. I mean, I cleaned kennels, fed dogs, fed pups. We, you know, we'd have 10, 12 litters of pups at a time out there. Just of course, p people come in. You know, you, you'd answer the phone in the office if somebody called, and you always had people stopping in there to go hunting, and I, I'd take them hunting. And so I, I got to, I got a lot of contacts out there when I was. Of course, like I say, I was a, I'm a pedigree nut, and they had files of pedigrees out there. What were cameras. some of the dogs that Bill had out there when you were there? At that time, let's see, the Eads Black Bruiser dog I talked about. Yeah. 
he had had him. He'd, he, he'd passed away since then. But at that time, he had Screaming Eagles. Belonged to W.L. Davis from Virginia. He had a dog called Midnight Trouble. Belonged to uh, uh, Sutton up in, in uh, northern Illinois. He was, a, he was a Wagner bred dog. Had a dog called Trump the Third from Ohio. He was a Wagner bred dog. These are black and tan dogs. These are all black and tans, yep. yeah. Knight Riders Breda, he was a Wagner bred, Bloodworth bred dog. He was a, he'd been a national grand show champion a couple of years before that. A big time bear dog. Mm -hmm. uh, what else did it have in it? Had a dog called Sounder. Uh, Davis's Black Powder, they had him. They just lost Cypress Creek Jim. So there's several good dogs stood out there. So let me understand this right. Bill would would contact these people. He brought these dogs into his a, kennel. A lot of the stud dogs were leased, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. He, he stood them at stud there at his place. Yeah, he had, they had about five or six studs, and then there's probably, I don't know, looking back, what was there, 50 females there probably? Mm-hmm. But he had kind of a modern laboratory and kennels and everything up there. Yeah, and so when somebody, if somebody wanted to go breed to a top, Bill would go try to find these top, of the line, yeah, he black kept, and tans. I mean, he kind of had his program. He had, had them, the studs he had were kind of for his use, but he stood them at public for anybody else too. Yeah, so he would lease it, he'd have the dog under contract, and then people could right. come to Bill Boatman's. Yep. Yeah. That's kind of a that's kind of a genius thing. So you, I mean, you could come and breed a Screaming Eagle, and if you got there and you didn't like Screaming Eagle, you could breed a, this dog or, or whatever, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've got to dig, dig around home. I've got pictures with, you know, all these big stud dogs standing out front on the sidewalk, posing them. And yeah. I, I thought I was something then. Yeah. You said you you were, you were, what'd you say? You were that close to being on the cover. Yeah, I just a half, about a eighth of an inch from being on the cover of the Bill Boatman catalog. <laughs> but they cut my picture out. <laughs> they had a picture of the dog and you were on the other yeah, end of the leash. Yeah, they had a couple of pictures of the dog standing on the tailgate and I was standing off the side on the leads. So. <laughs> What else did Bill have out there? I, I know, I know, because I remember the Bill Boatman, Bill Boatman catalog. But mm -hmm. he had some, he had some pretty crazy. Uh, actually, it was innovative stuff. He but was I, very innovative for the day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of the things I had from him, it was a double, had two lights on top of it, mm -hmm. uh, and one, it was shaped like an oval. Yep. Had a clip on the back, went on the front of your helmet, and you could flip between a floodlight a and, and a spotlight. I still got one. Do you really? There's not very many people got them because I wish I still had mine. He, uh, I got one of them, and it was a, it was a kind of a more of a prototype. Yeah, it never it never did. I don't think he even really hardly put it out. But I've I've got one at home in a in a box. It's brown. Is it brown? Brown. Yep. Yep. It's brown. Got it. Got a old Dynalite, which you know everybody thinks of the Dynalite. That was a light everybody carried on a six volt or six cell light yep. carried on a strap over your shoulder. So you, when you found them, then you could use that dying light to shine them. Had a and had a charger that you took the lens off and recharged them. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, everybody thought he just made stuff for coon hunters. But you know, them dying lights were sold to like airports and airlines, and I mean, it was it was a big business. Yeah. What other sorts of uh, what other sorts of innovative products did Bill keep over there? Well, you know, they had to. The uh, what do they call them Green, Greenbrier coats. You know they started out with them heavy coats for briars and all that stuff. Uh -huh. You know he's one. Of, I think probably one of the first guys with chaps. Uh, you know, he always had somebody bringing bringing something up. Yeah, he was a mover and a shaker yeah. for sure. Always yeah. tried to stay in front. Um, I was trying to. Th he always had vet supplies. Yeah, vet you, you, you buy supplies, collars. Yeah, leashes. I mean, uh, he's one of the first guys probably come out with the. Yeah, they called it day glow, but it's basically the 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 nylon stuff that we use today. Yeah, and then there were a lot of hand drawn there were a lot of hand drawn pictures in his catalog. And I remember those yeah. day glow collars. He had a guy they were the, the dog was standing out there and the hunter was standing back shining his light and he had showed, it, showed reflect or show, showed like it reflect. Yeah. 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 He had uh I'll tell you something else he had. You could tell he was uh Catering to the dog traders because he had those slide-on nameplates. Yeah, slide-on nameplates. Where the, where the collar would thread through two D-rings through the nameplates and mm -hmm. stuff. That way you could switch them yeah, out. I remember being in – I went to the showroom all the time there in, in town, and you know, he had different things mounted, but he had a 
course, you used to see the guys with the, the name name tag machine, just a little hand. Yeah. Hand. Well, he had a giant machine in there, looked like a big typewriter, but it was shoot, it was two foot across, and they could just put them plates in there and just type them just like a typewriter. No kidding. Had, had big old bars, stamped them in there. Yeah. They were good ones too, because mm. it wasn't just a little dent. I mean, if I remember right. Uh, it did it in reverse, didn't it? So it popped the um, popped the nameplate out. Yeah, they, it, it was. You could see it on the other side. I remember. I do yeah. remember that. Yeah. 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 It was pretty amazing. Yeah. Those were those were good nameplates back in those well, days. Bill back then had the Fruitdale Sportsman's Club, and it was a big it was a big trade day uh, swap meet type thing. I remember going to that out there when I was out there, swapping guns and dogs. And yeah. Swim races and field trials and you name it, they had it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You ever think you think we'll ever get back to those days? No, um, I'd like to. <laughs> they, they were good times. I have no regrets. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, it was it was that's quite an adventure for a twelve, thirteen year old kid. Yeah, I was. I mean, well, just the year I picked that dog up. You know, my parents took me to. All, that was the last. I think that was the last year of Autumn Oaks at Greencastle, Indiana. Mm-hmm. My dad took me over there again, took me over on Friday, kicked me out. And the guy was going to, he had arrangements made for a guy to bring me home Sunday on his way through. No kidding. I, I had a little bitty tent and about 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and a dog and 13 years old. Times have changed, haven't they've, they? They've changed, yeah. So let's let's compare like black and tan days. <clears throat> uh, we started to touch on it. How many how many entries did they have at Black and Tan Days last night in the Black Hunt? I don't know what they had in total. I kind of glanced up there a while ago before you called me and seen what the thing was. I know they had, I think, 15 or 16 RQE casts. But I, I can't tell you what their total number was last night. Yeah. But I know, you know, last year I think we had 140 or 50 dogs the first night and 120 the second night where – Back in them days, it would have been 350 the first night. Yeah, I brought 300 a walk the second night. I brought a walker dog to black in 10 days, probably. Well, you hunted with Joe, that mm -hmm. old Joe dog I had. Um, brought him over here, and I forget how many entries there were, like 275 entries. Or yeah. I mean, it was crazy back in the early 90s. How well, many it, entries even, were Even the all black and tan hunt back in the days was, you know, 200, 250 dogs just for the all black, just uh Big get-together hunt. Yeah, yeah. Which is why everybody come to Black and Tan Days. Yep, that's right. It, it, does it still start? Used to it, people start rolling in on Monday. Mm -hmm. And guys would just hunt and fellowship and eat and tell little stories all week long. Yeah, it's there's still some, a couple of guys come early. I, I was here Wednesday. Uh, there were maybe 40 people here Wednesday night when I first got here. But they had the Champions Classic Hunt, which has just been added the last few years, but... There wasn't just wasn't very many outside people in here yet. Yeah, back in the day though, man. But if you came on Wednesday, there were already several hundred people. Yeah, on the grounds, vendors were already open. Yeah, it was. It was. I always called it. The, it was. I felt like the biggest event of the year for just people that that came together. It wasn't. It wasn't really. Um, you know, you weren't competing all week. It was just a. It was like a big family. It was a reunion. family reunion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jeff, what else? We we miss anything? No, I, I think we've covered a lot. I think we have, too. I think we have, too. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'm glad you, glad you gave me a shout. Like I say, <laughs> I picked up that phone. I thought, who's this? From? Yeah, I had to sneak I had to sneak attack. Yeah, I called yeah. you on Andy Canada's Call, phone. Called me on Andy's phone. And yeah. I figured it was him. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad you did. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to go try to find Tim Whitaker. Yeah. Get him Good on luck. here. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jeff, we uh, appreciate you sitting down. I think everybody's going to enjoy the walk down memory lane. I mean, thinking about working for Bill Boatman and still breeding off the old juice dog—that's pretty amazing stuff, man. Yeah, you know, it's it's been a it's been a fun ride. Yeah, and you you're not how old are you? Fifty six. Just turned fifty seven. Fifty seven. So you're still a young man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're in good shape. Good shape, still. So. Yep. Still get through the woods good? Yeah. Yeah. Can't hear worth a lick. Can't hear. Can't see. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, until next time, buddy, you follow your hounds.
Remember in the pre-roll where I mentioned a story about black and tans, gangsters, and moonshine? Here it is. All right. We, we, the best conversations always happen when the microphone's off. You're good. Don't okay. Worry. We'll catch this. You got to tell me, you got to tell this story about the movie. Okay. <clears throat> so I was in my family's house one day and my dad went in the, in the house and come back out and said, I was wanting on the telephone. I asked him who it was. He didn't know. So I went in there and talked to these people. Well, he did, he did say it was somebody from some movie studio. So I went in there and I figured it was a joke. And they were, <laughs> they were, they were from a movie studio. They were shooting uh, an episode of The Untouchables, which used to be a TV series about Al Capone and, or Dillinger, Al Capone, I guess it was, and back in the moonshine days. Bootleggers. Bootleggers. Yeah. Yeah. So I I talked to these people, and they said, hey, we, we need some coonhounds for, for this episode, and they have to be black and tan coonhounds. So somebody, somebody gave, gave us your name to get a hold of. So I said, well, yeah, I've got, I've got black and tans. Did you ever find out who gave them your name? Never, never did. I mean, how do you go from having a movie <clears throat> studio in Chicago to finding Jeff Wood and Ed Grill, Illinois? Yeah. I don't know, but, Edgar but they County, did. Ed Grill, Illinois. Huh. So... Long story short, we got to talking, and I said, yeah, I can come up with some dogs. And they said, how many you need? Well, how many have you got? I think I ended up taking three or four dogs up. And uh, so then we got to talking, and they said, well, you know, we need this, we need that, and we need some pigs, and we need this. Cause this, this episode was supposed to be set in, in Kentucky. Yeah. Well, this was being filmed in the outskirts of Chicago in a nature preserve, come to find <laughs> what I found out later. But you drive – off the main highway and you're in a nature preserve it looks like you're in kentucky log cabins and log barns and so i took a trailer full of hogs and, <laughs> and uh, dog box full of coon dogs and you have any chickens on board no i didn't somebody had chickens i, I didn't ha have the chickens but we had chickens in the movie yeah so i had to put these hogs in the hog pen big old 400 pound sows and and so so a couple of parts we needed they they done a recording with the older man and old woman, they were supposed to be the parents of these bootlegging boys. And so I had to make old juice lay down between them just where he was sitting on the porch and the revenueers were there questioning him. And so in, in, in the movie, I mean, you wouldn't see me, but I was just around the corner of the barn telling juice, stay, stay, stay. And he just <laughs> laid there. So then we had to do another scene where one of the guys was walking out of the woods and he had supposed to have his dog walking alongside of him. And the revenueers confronted him and had a shootout and, but they had to get this dog to bark. And so he had a little, I put a little bitty fine cord on juice to make him where this guy could step on it, and keep him from taking off. Yeah. But we, we couldn't get him to bark. I said, well, how are we going to get this dog to bark? And uh, of course they had their camera with a big bulletproof thing on it. Cause this guy had to sh shoot the old lever action rifle at the camera, uh -huh. but they had them microphone booms and they had one of them big old fuzzy microphone covers yeah and i took that microphone cover and i got to shaking it and squalling like a coon in the background to get him to barking so he, this guy's standing on his leash so he can't go anywhere and he's he's barking and, and like he's wanting to get get after somebody and yeah yeah so it made, he made it look like he was trying to get after the the revenue after the revenues yeah oh man that's awesome and we were like I say it looked like it was kentucky and i think i spent two days up there i mean and it, it was it was quite an experience because the movie star set right next to you. You, they, you ate out of their catering bus with them. What kind of? What kind of? Uh, who were the stars on? You remember? Uh, yeah, I can. I mean, I still see them in shows. I can't. I can't tell you tell you what their name was. A couple of guys have really been popular. So you can remember. You can remember coon dog names, but you can't remember movie star names. No, no. <laughs> I, I've got pictures at home. I can. I can show you. I see them in a movie. I say, hey, I was you know ate with that guy, or I was one of the guys in that movie. But yeah, I can't remember. I can't tell you what their name is right offhand. Like I say, a couple of them were pretty popular later on. See, that's something I didn't know. I didn't know Juice was a movie star. Yeah, he got, a, he got about a split second. But yeah. it's, it's funny because you know, we filmed quite a bit of time actual filming, and for maybe five seconds is all he was. I, I used to have the video there at home somewhere. I'd like to see that, just see, put it in context. That's pretty cool. I'm glad I had. I'm glad I <laughs> turned the recorder back on for that one, Jeff. Yeah, we're gonna have to put this in in the bon bonus segment. That was one of my first and only trips to Chicago. Uh, I don't blame you there. 
we could go we could record another podcast about hauling dogs through chicago on my end but all right man that'll do it all right good enough thanks Thanks. jeff and that will do it for this episode of the houndsman xp podcast thank you for tuning in and listening spending your time with us here on the houndsman xp podcast network big announcement wednesday this coming wednesday may 18th heath hyatt is rolling out his own show it's going to be good You're going to be surprised at the material he's going to cover and how deep he's going to go into training issues and and just being a better houndsman. You're going to love it. Make sure you're checking us out over on the Apple Podcast platform. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. We love you. Thanks for tuning in. And now you follow your hounds, and I'll follow mine.